Is love something that just happens to you? Is it a product of your choices or is it an obligation? Find out right now. My name is Yitzwai and I'm the rabbi of Young Israel Asia Las Vegas. Welcome to the Life is Great community. So we have a verse in the Torah. God dictated to Moses every letter in the five books of Moses. And amongst those in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord your God. That's what it says. God commands us. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm God. From there we know that love is not a happening and love is not a product per se only of your choices, but that love is an obligation. Now, just because it's an obligation doesn't mean it's not magical. Doesn't mean it, there's no allure to it. Doesn't mean it's not romantic, right? It can still be a fascinating thing, but we have to recognize that love is an obligation. We are obligated to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, there's a lot of issues over here, and we're not going to do them all right now. I just want to deal with this one point for now, is how can love be an obligation? It seems that in the world we live, either you love somebody or you don't. It seems that it's an emotion, and that you fall in love and you fall out of love. That's the Western concept of love. You know, is you know, if we want to pull in that little guy Cupid, you know, here you got, you know, you're here you got Jeff, and Jeff is married to Susan, and then they buy a big house, and he's got to stay out late at work, so he's at the office trying to pay off the huge mortgage, taking take care of his family, and spends ends up spending a lot more time with Sally, his secretary, than Susan, his wife. Well, after you know six months of coming home at 11 o'clock at night, all that time hanging around Sally, he turns to his wife and says, hey, Susie, you know, sorry, you're out, Sally's in. She goes, what do you mean, what happened? He goes, well, she says, weren't we in love? And he says, listen, we were in love, but then it's Cupid, that bugger. He just snuck up behind me and shot his arrow and now it stuck me and now I'm in love with the other one. Out of love with you, in love with this one. That very much is the way love works in Western society. But that's not the Jewish version of love. As a matter of fact, you want to sum up the Jewish version of love? We call it the death of Cupid. It's finished. Cupid's a bad, bad boy. Rather, what he is, is we say that love is a product of us cho uh, choosing to love someone and being committed to loving them as an obligation. Now, you can say, listen, how can you obligate someone to have an emotion? Well, the truth is, as parents, if you have young children, we do this all the time. Yeah, I might have a few little kids and they're sitting at the dinner table. And then, you know, Johnny turns, uh, his sister says, I hate my sister. You know, he's eight years old and sister's six years old. And he goes, I hate her. I never want to speak to her ever again. I want nothing to do with her. And you say, why do you hate your sister? And he says, because she moved my chair. And you say, okay, she's your only sister. You're going to love your sister. We actually obligate our family to behave in a way that's loving. Now, if you're stuck with love as an emotion, it might be a little more difficult. But when we go to the root of it, there is a great discussion amongst rabbinic authorities. What exactly is love? Is love a noun or is it a verb? So according to some, love is really a verb. It's if I behave in ways that induce a feeling of love, 
then that is the way I fulfill the obligation. So love your neighbor as yourself means act in a way that I will come close to another person. The person will come close to me. And that would be, and, and how exactly is that? Well, that's, you know, kind and considerate, empathetic, you know, doing, being loyal to somebody. When we do the, certain actions, so then we create a feeling between us. So in that case, love is really a verb. But another way of viewing love as a noun would be that love is the emotion one feels when they identify and appreciate the virtues in another. In other words, when I focus on what's special about another, then I love them. If we view love in such a way, not that it's a happy, not that you fall in love, you fall out of love. But I say, listen, it's something that's very proactive. I must go and I must love the other person, which means I have to do actions that will induce love and in the absence of those actions, I have to use my mind to focus on what's special about others, then that not only can I be obligated on, but I do obligate others. I obligate my children. You have to love your family. We obligate, you know, as a rabbi and the people in the synagogue, I'm obligating them to love each other all the time. No, you can't, you can't say that to that person. You can't be upset at that person. You've got to behave in a certain way that will allow people to come closer. So that is the first point over here. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there was a very famous rabbi in the Jewish world. His name is Rabbi Wine, Rabbi Beryl Wine. So it was very interesting. So, so he, uh, you know, in 1973, when he when he stopped being a lawyer and, and took a, over a, a pulpit in Miami Beach. So for about the first uh, 15 years, every person he married had a blissful marriage. And as a matter of fact, he'd marry like eight or nine people a year. No one ever got divorced. And he really, he says that he thought that he was a magical charm. If you got Rabbi Wine to marry you, then nobody got divorced. And then all of a sudden, in the late 80s, he'd marry people. One year he married seven or eight people. And within three years, five of them were divorced. The next year he married like, you know, nine or 10 people. And within a couple of years, you know, another five of them were divorced. So we went to Rabbi Kamenetsky, who was one of the greatest rabbis of the generation. And he said, what is going on? Rabbi Kamenetsky said, it's simple. Divorce is an epidemic. The disease, there's a disease called lack of commitment, lack of understanding that I must commit myself to loving another person to stay in love with them. And that, and that now, and once that is going on, that's just going on. It doesn't matter what circles you're on. And that really, when we look at it, the people that are committed to loving each other and staying in love, those are the people that have long-term relationships, long-term loving relationships. And those people that are just saying, listen, love's a feeling, I got it or I don't got it. Usually their love, their appreciation for each other. The high goes away after a little while, a year or two, and then they can very quickly fall out of love. I remember my wife and I, we did not argue the entire first year we were married. It took us day after we had our first child. I'm not blaming it on him, by the way, but, but it was after we had our first child. So then, you know, okay, then there was something to, to fight about. But up until then, there was nothing to fight about. So there were no fights. And then you have to exert the commitment to love another. When you are with somebody, you're walking around and you're appreciating everyone. You're feeling really good. You're not fulfilling the mitzvah of loving your neighbor. It's only when you look at someone and they're annoying you. And then you make a choice. You say, you know, I'm not going to focus on how they're, what they're doing to annoy me. I'm going to focus on how special they are. At that moment, you were fulfilling the commandment. People don't really get this. They just think, well, listen, we love each other. So we're doing a mitzvah. No, you're only doing the mitzvah of loving each other. If at that moment, there's a little bit of a challenge to it. So it's really what we have to do is raise our commitment 
to loving each other, raising our commitments and, and feel, feel more dedicated to focus on the beauties of each other and more dedicated to do actions that will induce a positive feeling between each other. Many years ago, I went to an Asia Torah rabbi's uh, convention and the, there were about 50 of us there and, and the Rosh Yeshiva of Noah Weinberg split us up into groups of five. And in every group, there was one person who you've known for a long time, like 20 years. Another two or two people that you've known just like maybe through the conventions, whatever, a couple of years, and one person you've never met. And then we played the love game. The love game is you go around the circle and you identify a virtue that every person has. So the person you know, if you don't for a long time, you could say, yeah, you're a really loyal, honest person. The people you don't know as well, but you know a little bit, you turn and say, you know, every interaction I've had with you, you're really funny, you make me laugh. The person you just met, you pick a virtue that's very superficial. You have really nice skin. <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you're in a good choice in time. Okay. And anyway, everyone goes around, say all the virtues. Then we get back together. The rabbi stands up and he asks the question. He goes, did anyone have any trouble finding virtues in the people in the group? And we all said, no. He said, why not? Some of the people you didn't, you, you, you've never met before. And everyone said, well, if I'm just trying to find a virtue. So yeah, I can see a virtue in everybody. People I know well, I find a significant virtue. People I know less, not so well, I find a more superficial, but it's still a virtue. And then he said, now go back and teach your communities. The reason you could find virtues was because you were commanded, find virtues. So God commands us all to find, focus on the virtues in every Jewish person you meet. So before you walk in the room, before you walk back in that house, think of your spouse, think of your kids, think of what's special about them, put a smile on your face, walk through that door. Before you walk into the office, make sure you know who you're gonna see there. You're gonna see your boss, maybe you're gonna see your secretary, Maybe you're going to see your coworker who's really annoying you. Focus on what's special about them. When you do that, you bring love into the world. One last point. Coming up in a few weeks is the, the National Day of Jewish Mourning, Tisha B'Av. That's the day where we celebrate, we remember all the horrible things that have ever happened to the Jewish people. We commemorate them. And the big things that we're focused on is the destruction of the temple. The base of Migdash, the last one was destroyed in the year 70 CE in Jerusalem. That was the focal point of the Jewish people. It, the reason it was destroyed by the Romans 2,000 years ago was because of sinas chinam, baseless hatred. What it meant is that the Jews were not so focused on loving each other. It doesn't say, you know, that the, the temple was destroyed because people weren't honest. It doesn't say they didn't keep Shabbat, they didn't keep kosher. It said that we didn't love each other well, right? And what we've got to do right now is we've got to stop and focus on each other's virtues and performing acts of kindness that will make us grow closer together. So right now, I'm introducing our fabulous producer, Dana Rutherford, who has some, some of your questions and uh, just to ask. Go ahead. Thank you, Rabbi Wine. Hi, everyone. All right, so we have two questions. The first one says, my brother has been married for 15 years and I know that he loves his wife, but I feel like their love is so rare. I see way more couples where love seems to be lost. How do you maintain love for the long run? Uh, the long run, I really think it is that issue of saying, I have to be committed to love this person. I've gotta be dedicated to love this person. So many people view marriage as a rental. You should view marriage as a buy, you know? I even know one person 
Well, I said to him, I said, you know, what about so-and-so? She's a great girl. Maybe you should like go out with her. And he said, she'd be really good for the second wife. <laughs> right? She's a little plump, a little fluffy, a little, you know, great person, you know? But he, he said, oh, my first one, when I'm young, I want to get, find someone a little better. A person's got to stop and be dedicated to loving another. And then you'll be able, even though you go through some turbulent moments, you'll be able to maintain that love. All right. Excellent. One last one. One last one. Okay. How do you foster love between your children when they're arguing? Okay. So this is the way to pull it out. So again, if you're able to focus that the other person, the one who's annoying the first is actually uh, seeing something good. You know, in other words, sometimes when people are fighting, there, there's always a good side to it you know, or annoying, you know, imagine, you know, a person was, uh, imagine you, you know, you were, you wanted to, to go play uh, basketball with your sibling and the sibling invited his uh, friend over and said, Oh, why don't you come on over and you play, you're going to play with my brother. Now there's, now there's the two of them and, and you, and you're not, you know, now you're not playing, you don't get the ball as much. Okay. So the, you could be really, the one kid could be really annoyed. You know, why'd you invite your friend over? Or you could say, wow, you know, your brother just, you know, recognize your generous spirit, your kindness, and, and therefore didn't think you would mind, you know, but okay, next time we could talk about it. next time say, I don't want to play basketball with you. So you have to find the virtue in the annoying part and focus the one who's upset on how the other person respects them and loves them and is dedicated to them. You know, sometimes siblings, especially when they become teens, an elder sibling will, you know, criticize a younger sibling and rather, and, and the younger sibling will be hurt. So you have to stop and turn to the younger sibling and say, you re see, the reason he's criticizing you is because he knows you can do so much better. He sees how great of a person you are. And when you say that, you know, when you lift him up, it, it lift him up, yeah, it, when you lift him up over that, he's less hurt. And then behind the scenes, then you can fix the problem, say the elder sibling, you know, listen, don't put the other person down. Don't criticize them. It's not worth it. All right. Plenty of great stuff over here. We're going to come back with more. There's so many more issues with love, but, and we'll, we'll publish more. Look forward to more Life is Great podcasts on the topic of love coming up real soon to you. And for right now, I'm Rabbi Yitzwine with uh, Dana Rutherford. Thanks for listening. And uh, please send over your questions. Thanks for listening to the Life is Great podcast. Share this with your friends and they will love you for it. If you have questions or comments, please email me at rabbiyitzwine at gmail.com. That's R-A-B-B-I-Y-I-T-Z-W-Y-N-E at gmail. For more content, check out our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Thank you to Dana Rutherford for producing today's episode. And remember... If you decide to make it a great day, then your life will be great. Thank you for listening and being part of the Life is Great community. To keep these podcasts and other awesome programs available for free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation at yiaishlv.org backslash contribute.